This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. And hey, maybe you're checking us out on YouTube. I hope you do. And if you haven't, check us out. Well, technology has helped fight crime as the numbers of law enforcement officers has diminished. Are we using the technology efficiently and effectively? Are we integrating the various applications to assist operations, planning, and in addressing crime? Can we do it at small, medium, large, and urban and rural settings as well? Well, they are doing this in Elk Grove, California, and Jamie Hudson is a real-time information center manager at the Elk Grove Police Department. He's also the emergency manager of the city of Elk Grove, California, and he is here to tell us how it works for them and how it may work in your jurisdiction. Well, Jamie Hudson is the real-time information center manager at Elk Grove Police Department. He's led the RTIC from its opening in 2019 and together with his dedicated group of RTIC professionals has built it and fitted into a model for other agencies to use as a resource when exploring building their own. Jamie was an inaugural Board of Directors member of the National Real-Time Crime Center Association and currently serves as the association's advisory board member. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Jamie Hudson. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I've got your full bio in our show notes. People can check you out. Extensive history starting in dispatch. So you know it from the ground up. You're teaching for California Post. You're doing all kinds of other things nationally. Tell us about the RTIC in Elk Grove. Sure. Uh, So our real-time information center was started and opened in June of 2019. Uh, originally it was scheduled to open July 4th of 2019, but we opened a little bit early to help a, a neighboring agency out with the line of duty death a memorial service and funeral that they had that was coming through our city. So we got to open it with a mission and with an event and really uh, kind of shake the bugs out of it at the same time. Uh, our mission internally at our police department's real-time center is to produce video and other intelligence in real time and then disseminate that to our stakeholders, first responders, uh, other city staff, et cetera. So we don't just chase crime and provide intelligence for our first responders, but we also provide video intelligence to our city staff, like public works during storms, uh, city council, city management, et cetera. So kind of an all-inclusive intelligence and information center. Uh, we we kind of use, I don't know, about five-ish uh, different platforms that we're kind of known for to get that video intelligence out, and that's traffic cameras, uh, automated license plate readers, uh, unmanned aerial systems or drones, uh, live feed video from exteriors of businesses, churches, et cetera, and then just some more live intelligence streams that our, our Arctic specialists internally produce and curate uh, to send out. Uh, we we really focus on on the intelligence aspect of what we do, and that's producing video and static intelligence, right? The the intel that that we will mine and, and kind of create in here. So other things that we do here, we provide all stats that go internal or external 
uh, for the police department. We lead our uh, intelligence-led policing program that we have as well, and we write the department's annual report internally. So uh, we, we do a lot. We're kind of jack of all trades, but honestly, in, the, in an agency the size of ours, we don't have, uh, which is a good thing, enough crime to always chase crime. So we have other things that we do as well, that other ancillary, ancillary tasks that, that help out. Uh, staffing wise, uh, because that's the, one of the main questions we're always asked by folks is, you know, how are you staffed and, and what does it look like? Uh, currently we have myself, the, the real-time center manager, we have two Arctic analysts. They focus on uh, all things, crime analysis, intelligence analysis, operations analysis. Uh, we have two Arctic specialists. They focus on communications, mostly internal, but also external communications and intelligence. And then we have one full-time Arctic operator. Uh, position and then one uh, community service officer position. And that's a rotating kind of temporary duty assignment in here. Uh, we're all civilian staff. And that's one of the, I, I used to say unique things, but it's not quite unique anymore. But uh, we're all civilian staff. And the the philosophy behind that with our chief that kind of opened this center was that he wanted stability within the center. And so traditionally, uh, you know, centers that are that have all sworn staff, those folks want to promote, which they should, uh, you know, and they start to have rotations, they start to move out. So his philosophy was that we would be civilianized and uh, have stability there. Uh, so that's how we operate. There are other very successful real-time crime centers that are all sworn. There are very successful hybrid versions of real-time crime centers as well. So we just happen to be the civilian version of that. Yeah, I totally understand that. And, you know, when I first went to my first uh, center, the, a coordinated center like this, and, and there's so many uh, different titles, right? You call it the Real-Time Information Center. I've talked to Don Redmond, captain, then captain at Chula Vista for his Real-Time Crime Center. Um, you all basically do the same thing, right? Uh, what was it called in LAPD? The TWIG, the Terrorist Early Warning Group, Police, Fire, Public Works, EMS, Public Health, Park and Rec. Everybody in a room. I think there were like 30 people in that room. Uh, eventually, I think, you know, financing brings down the staffing levels. Uh, do you ever have events where you plug in those other department uh, liaisons? Yes, we, we do. So that's something that, especially inside of a, a real-time information center like ours, uh, because we were lucky enough to have it built out with a video wall, uh, kind of you see a part of that behind me, uh, that's changed the way that our command staff uh, is linked into uh, critical incidents or critical events. Uh, so we do, we bring folks in here, we have kind of a joint operations center, uh, depending on the event. So we've had times where we've had fire arson investigators, a fire marshal, fire service in here, uh, which also coordinates our EMD for the, or EMS for the county. Uh, you know, we've had outside agencies. So during the protests in 2020 that we had here in the Sacramento area, we ran intelligence and streamed back to the Sacramento area so that those folks on the ground had all of that video intelligence. And so at the time, you know, we had the district attorney in here because their office was uh, part of that target uh, that, that the protesters had. So we will bring in folks as needed for any event. We, we don't have a standing liaison position in the sense that, again, we, we don't have the volume of traffic that would make it, 
you know, uh, efficient for any agency to do that, but we certainly have them come in during those and, and mentioning the, the different uh, acronyms for what we all are, you know, when, when uh, myself and, a, and another group of very dedicated folks uh, started the National Real-Time Crime Center Association, that was a discussion that we had. Do we call it a crime center association? Do we call it the information center? What do, what do we call this? And ultimately, you know, real-time crime centers were what was started. And so it was started on kind of the East Coast and and we wanted to make sure that we acknowledge that, that honestly, there, there's more real-time crime centers than anything else out there. Uh, but every agency seems to uh, start coming up with their own term for it. And, and like real-time crime centers are everywhere, they're so unique to each agency that it makes sense that they might come up with their own acronym. But at the end of the day, we're all doing the same uh, job principally. Uh, and then we just sprinkle in some extra duties or tasks into there, depending on what we're what we're working. Mm -hmm. And so, do you follow the the FEMA model, the ICS model, and do you keep it at, at a baseline level, and then uh, stage it up for events? Do you bring in people for somebody who's the incident commander? I guess depending on whether it's a fire or a law enforcement related or a medical issue could be any one of those uh then do you staff the operations logistics planning and finance and uh admin as well yeah so we keep it uh, somewhat separate so my my role is dual role emergency manager and manager of the real time center uh, if we have an event that requires an EOC activation, then the EOC is what I would be over coordinating. And yet, exactly as you described it. So we would scale it up as necessary, depending on the event, following all of the all of the standards and, and really uh, getting all of those uh, operational folks together and everyone else to, to make those decisions. Uh, on the real-time center side, we just bring folks into the real-time center. So uh, if we're working a, a coordinated event with three different agencies, ultimately we would invite command staff and or a liaison from those agencies to come directly work here in our real-time center. And then the last piece of that is we liaise between our real-time center and our EOC. So we make sure that that video intelligence and that other intel is available to the folks that are working the EOC, be it operations, PIO, things like that. Mm -hmm. So the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center, is the overarching, oversees it all. You're uh, the more intelligence-led or information-led that can get all that stuff out to those different groups. Yeah, that's right. So you can think of uh, the Real-Time Information Center in, an, in a critical event. You could think of us as more of a department operations center supporting the overall uh, EOC activity. That's probably the easiest analogy to make with, with kind of how we fit within that structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the attorney and the department heads, we used to keep them at a separate command post so they didn't get in the way of operations. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the, the fun part about that now is we figured out a, a great way here to stream all of the intelligence directly to all of those folks. So it, it allows them to, to really be in their own environment to, to ingest that video, that Intel, and to make their own decisions uh, based on that. But yeah, as a, you know, 30, almost 30 years in the 911 world, you know, that used to be how it was done. The watch commanders would come through the, the communication center and that would be the hub of where everything was happening. Now imagine fast forward with technology, that hub is now either in their office at their house, on their cell phone, uh, in their car, or in the real-time information center. 
Don Redman, uh, Chula Vista talked about his live 911 where they have drones advancing before uh, individual officers arrive on scene. They can talk via mobile video terminals to the 911 caller by FaceTime. Are you doing all of that as well? And and describe Elk Grove, if you would, less than 100,000 people, how many, 50 sworn in the police department, something like that? Uh, for as far as Elk Grove, 178,000 residents and 161 sworn. Wow. Uh, we just went up to, to that after we got a couple of positions approved in the fiscal year. But yeah, so I mean, you mentioned Don and Chula Vista. They're kind of the pioneers of the whole drone as a first responder program and the, the philosophy behind that. And uh, they, we, we've gone down there a couple of times. I, you know, they're, they're, they are like what we are in the real time center world and the DFR world. They get a ton of tours and which is a great thing. Agencies need to see those best practices and, and what's happening there. So we got to go down there, uh, check out their, their operation a couple of times. And we've vetted uh, a few remote piloting options here. We're probably a month or two away from launching our own DFR program. Uh, ourselves. And uh, thanks to them, we're modeling it uh, with similarities to theirs. And then, you know, a couple of differences, but ultimately we're all kind of playing the same game at the end of the day there. But uh, mentioning the, you know, kind of getting ahead of a call, that that is really what, uh, when I went down to see Chula Vista and I saw this product uh, live 911, that really kind of got the wheels turning for me is how can we get a jump on a call for service where, by the time it's entered into the CAD system for officers to be dispatched, et cetera, we may already be able to get eyes on, you know, a suspect, a victim, wh whatever it might be. So, uh, you know, imagine sitting in, a, in an operations center and as soon as the dispatcher picks up a 911 call, we in the real-time center are hearing that 911 call. And so if it's, uh, let's say it's a shooting, as soon as we have an address, inside the real-time center, we're on the cameras right away. And so if it's an area that's near the cameras that we can access, then we're accessing those. If they provide vehicle descriptions, a plate, a license plate, then we're able to put that into a hot list immediately, even before the call for service is entered. So uh, by the time that call is entered and dispatched, oftentimes we're able to get onto the radio as the information center here and tell dispatch and or the responding officers, here's who we're seeing, here's what we see, we already have your suspect vehicle, here's where you need to go. So it's really made the, the response efficient, right? So now we're, instead of flooding with officers in a certain area to hope to find a car, we're sending the appropriate amount of officers to intercept the car while also, you know, going to see what is, what's happening at the location of the, of the event. So that's been, uh, a, we, it's almost cliche now, everything's a game changer when it comes to technology and policing, right? So every new thing that comes out is like, oh, well, this is great. It's a game changer for us. Live 911 has kind of been that uh, for us in that in that aspect because it it's true to form. We get the information ahead of time, so we would layer in the DFR program. Our remote pilots will be here in our real time center as well, so they'll have access to that same information as it's coming in live. So imagine again that shooting incident. We as our as Arctic operators are on live cameras. Our drone pilot is launching the drone, and in in an ideal world we are virtually on scene within seconds and providing intelligence, be it video intelligence and or, uh, you know, intelligence by looking at video and then relaying that over a radio channel. Right. And I, I totally agree with you that it is such a game changer. Earlier on, you talked about opening your Arctic 
early for a uh, slain officer's funeral. And if it's the one I'm thinking about, uh, she was ambushed. And mm-hmm. um, how could live 911 have been uh, a possible lifesaver in that situation, right? Getting there and seeing that, uh, you know, the call was made, I think it was about a domestic violence. And then the suspect laid in wait and ambushed her. Yeah. Uh, could have used it then. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's the that's the key element is, you know, every little bit helps. And so if if you're able as an agency to bring in different solutions, live 911 is a solution, live operated cameras with people that are live operators, uh, another piece of that solution that you layer in license plate readers where you can add those cars and then get hits on those cars you know, as they're passing through the city, leaving a uh, crime. So when you start to layer all of that together, that's really starting to build the, what I like to call the philosophy of real-time policing, which is, you know, the idea that we can add all of these elements and at the end of the day, help resolve that event more efficiently, quicker, or in some cases, resolve it to where it may not have been resolved before. But uh, most of the time, it's really just giving us a more efficient and more uh, specific response with our resources. Mm-hmm. Great. Hey, I'd like to ask you about some of the challenges, uh, maybe give some advice to uh, agencies starting up on Arctic or a real-time crime center. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. And we're back and I'm speaking with Jamie Hudson, real-time information center manager at Elk Grove Police Department in California. And he's the emergency manager at the city of Elk Grove as well. So we talk about challenges a little bit. And I know you're not yet a 24-7 operation. How many people do you need to stand up uh, a full-time 365 uh, real-time information center. Yeah, for for the city our size, if I wanted to be 24-7, we'd probably need six operator positions, and that would give me a minimum staffing of one body, uh, you know, just for operations. And then again, we have some ancillary stuff. So our specialists and our analysts would not be kind of part of that operational uh, staffing level. But yeah, six-ish there for, you know, per for one body that you want as minimum staffing. So if you want two, you're going to be, you know, basically doubling that without getting into too much math. But um, that's that's the goal here. You know, the goal here is our first goal was to determine if we needed 24-7 coverage. Um, and then if we determine we need 24-7 coverage, then go to that model. Uh, currently, we have kind of an on-call status. So a couple of us have full setups at our homes to where we can run and access everything from the house uh, so if they have, uh, say, a homicide, something like that overnight, uh, we're on those cameras and on that call within a minute or two. So the the traditional thought of people need to respond in to handle, we don't have to have that anymore. We can log in from home, handle, and be a part of that active uh, crime as opposed to, you know, being a part of the investigative process necessarily. Mm-hmm. 
And we've been talking about elk growth specifically, but you've you've you're on the board for the National uh, Information Center Association. Let me ask you, I've got ring camera system at my home. Uh, there are so many others, you know, I can't even name them. Are we moving towards, um, and I know there's opposition from uh, people who don't want ring doorbell cameras uh, on police feeds, but is it possible to, if people sign over, like I would be completely willing to give mine over to our local police department. Are we moving towards a model where we can access uh, if not live in real time, then at least after the fact, access to home uh, systems. Sure. Yeah, we're we're there now. Uh, technology is there now to allow live access to home security systems. Uh, we have live access from businesses, uh, churches, places like that. Uh, it's important to note here, we only access the exterior. Uh, we have Fourth Amendment signs that are on every building, every house that we would have access to. Uh, and and really, we do that not because we should or have to, but honestly, you know, our our path at Elk Grove is really to balance that the concept of Big Brother versus the concept and reality of effective policing and so ethical policing. So, uh, is Big Brother and that that phraseology, uh, you know, is it a concern? Absolutely. You know that that keeps us right. That keeps us from from doing things and accessing things that maybe we shouldn't do. To go back to the ring, uh, the ring doorbell and the ring portal, anything that's voluntarily uploaded, we would be happy to see that. And honestly, it's led to apprehensions in retail theft, in local theft, in other things. And so, uh, when people are voluntarily willing to share intelligence, and that intelligence can be in any form, they've been voluntarily sharing intelligence over the phone for many years, right? Calling the police department. So if they're willing to voluntarily share that video intelligence, you know, we'll take it. We'll we'll analyze it internally and if it's if it's effective and helps then we'll we'll use that. So yeah, it it's a, it is a fun topic to talk about. I never shy away from talking about it because again our our goal is always focused on the ethical part of policing and you know, it's always something that we balance. But yeah, it's it's uh it's a fun discussion to have with folks, you know, and I get both sides, but at the end of the day, if I can help, you know, solve something quicker and and be more efficient, we certainly will do that. Sure, it's a fun discussion till the shouting and screaming starts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, so how is respectful of your time? How can an agency looking to improve or start up a real time information center begin? Where do they start? What sort of help can they get locally, state, federal? I know FEMA is a great resource, uh, mostly free. Uh, any other any other grants out there? Yeah. So uh, what I recommend any agency do that that is even considering a real time crime center is uh, either join or at minimum go to the website for the National Real Time Crime Center Association. It we've really done a good job, and and I'm no longer on the board, so I have to refer to it as they now. Uh, they've really done a fantastic job at assembling many different points of contact from real-time crime centers across the country. And so part of what they do is, is really connect agencies with other like-sized, like-minded agencies that have already stood something up or have had you know failures that they want to make sure, hey, watch for this if you're going to stand that up. So at minimum, I recommend going to, to that 
uh, website, seeing that organization and seeing kind of what they have to, to offer as far as that's concerned. Uh, philosophically, real-time crime centers really are about the people. And then you get a, a single desk and a single computer and you have a real-time crime center. It's really about the philosophy of what it does and not all of the cool platforms, video walls, et cetera, that, that we have behind us. So uh, when you know chiefs and sheriffs are looking at how do we get into this? How, how do we make that move? I don't have money for more staff. I don't have money to, to build this office. Uh, we are a collective of various classifications throughout law enforcement that happen to now work in a real-time information center. So uh, don't be afraid to look at your staff that you have now and think, can they monitor a camera if they hear a call for service? If they can, now you have a real-time crime center. So really it starts there, you know, and we say it, it, it might sound funny to some, but if you have a body, a desk and a computer, you can start a real-time crime center today, then build around that, right? And then get into your platforms and, Everything doesn't have to come at the same time. You know, we, I'll give an, an answer for what do I think is most important. And the next real-time crime center manager will give an answer that may be a little bit different. So it's really about what's important to the agencies. For me, license plate reader, live cameras, live operators. Those are the, those are the important pieces for me. And then we just trickle in everything else. But some agencies may be very data driven and they may need a data linkage program right where you're you're linking people cars uh, property etc that may be more important than in cameras so going to that that real time crime center association webpage connecting with other agencies that have gone through this process uh, it's imperative because every agency in our country will find someone and some other agency that's similar that they're going to be able to use their experiences to help kind of get something stood up for them uh, last piece, you mentioned grants. There's tons of grants uh, out there. Uh, they come and go. And so, you know, it, it's, it is something that a department would need to kind of watch for and see what's out there. In California, we had a, a very large application process recently for uh, organized retail theft, motor vehicle theft, cargo theft grant that, that's uh, just closed in July, early July. So those will be awarded in a month or so. And Tons of agencies throughout the, the state are going to have a three-year grant to where they can focus on mitigating those things that I just mentioned. So if you imagine, you know, that may not build you a real-time information center or crime center, but it can certainly establish a foundation of platforms, equipment, solutions that you wouldn't typically find the funding to do very easily, right? So you have to get creative with that. My staff here, uh, when we bring new staff on, uh, typically, we fund that with supplemental law enforcement services fund grant money. That used to be, if you think of the old COPS budget, you know, with COPS bodies, uh, we used to fund police officers with that. And what our department has done and our chiefs have done is say, we're going to fund real-time center positions with that instead of police bodies. We'll fund police bodies with other uh, more traditional means of funding. And now we're funding staffing with that grant money. And then we fold it into general fund as years go on, just like we used to do with COPS grants uh, stuff. So there's, there's, there are grants out there for, for many things. And I do recommend that agencies get very creative with how they use grant money to either support platform purchase, platform, uh, you know, service, software as a service subscriptions or staffing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate it. And I was going to ask about, you know, a small town like Elk Grove. Well, gosh, you just, uh, 
Elk Grove is a midsize, if not larger city and the staffing as well. So, but what you just described, a small rural city, a rural town could start there, smaller city, uh, ramp up to a mid-level and then larger. Uh, yeah, sometimes you got to bite the bullet and do what you can and fill it uh, as you can. So thanks so much. Valuable information today. Uh, Jamie Hudson, Real-Time Information Center Manager at Elk Grove Police Department and Emergency Manager for the City of Elk Grove. Thanks so much, Jamie. Thanks, Jim. All right. And you can see the links below. You can see Jamie Hudson's full bio and a Facebook uh, video, uh, YouTube of the operations there at Elk Grove. And I'll see what else I can add for you to look at. Again, I always mention FEMA because I have always taken advantage of free classes, uh, free trainings that they can send your personnel to. Uh, you can go to Teeks and get you know people from multi-agencies together and train together there. All expenses paid. I mean, how can you beat that? All right, well, I hope you found today's show entertaining and interesting. And uh, follow up, send me an email at policingmatters at policeone.com, policingmatters at policeone.com. Let me know what you think and uh, hope to talk to you again real soon. Take good care. Stay safe. <laughs>